Welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here as we broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, also the uh, the home of corn flub, as some are calling it, the disastrous Iowa caucuses. Ouch. Anyway, maybe we'll maybe we'll live beyond that. We'll see. But uh, I want to take a second before we start our program to uh, thank a few of our local business partners. Thanks to a Gateway Marketing Cafe located on 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store. And a great place for breakfast, lunch, supper. Gateway also has a catering service. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. National Axe, local acts, Noche is a fantastic place for the, uh, the jazz scene here in Des Moines. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant on East 5th and Walnut in the East Village, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers, even in February. That's Hawk Restaurant. All right, welcome to the program. And with me today, Jeffrey Wise. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to start with a look at the media. And, uh, yeah, you know, I just I don't even know where to start because we've had so... <laughs> the, the, the degeneration within the corporate media over the last years and decades is, mm-hmm. uh, is, is painful to watch. Mm-hmm. And you have watched it closely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I, my thesis when I was in college was uh, a report on uh, how media report political dissent, and it was a content analysis of the New York Times coverage of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. And um, in they my let, thesis, they let you do that in college. They let me do that in college, right. <laughs> and I actually settled on a, um, a, a something called ideological hegemony that um, media in the United States uh, tends to play a role, sort of like the Catholic Church during parts of feudalism in, in, in Europe, which is sort of um, training people in, in, in how to think and how they should think, um, and definitely align with um, with powerful interests. I mean, media in the United States is not part of corporate America, is not close to corporate America. Well, it, it is corporate America. Well, I was gonna, to, okay, I was going to say to, it. Wait to, a minute. To, to borrow <laughs> sure, a phrase okay. from uh, Michael Parenti when he, he um, Italian-American political scientist, um, who gave a, a, a talk at at um, Iowa State a, a few decades ago. And I just, you know, I mean, I, I could go on and on, but it, it, it's changed so much from the days of uh, three channels where news is half hour at 5.30 or 6, and then it's half hour at night at 10 o'clock. And, you know, Walter Cronkite would say, and that's the way it is, and everybody would kind of leave it behind. And, you know, yeah, the world's going on, and... and and get to their day, and um, now you have a situation where the entire landscape has radically changed. About what fifty to sixty to seventy percent of the people get their news. I In use quotes, that term right? lightly yeah. from Facebook or Google. Um, uh, Matt Taibbi just wrote a book, um, "Hate Incorporated," which talks about the 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 news model of corporate media, which is sort of argutainment. It's Argutainment. Argutainment. You I know, get it, I get it. I get yeah, it. Okay. To, you know, it's essentially a way for people to, um, you know, pick a side, so to speak. There's only two political ideas that corporate media will allow you. And to. those are. That would be the red states and the blue states, the the Democrats and the Republicans. Conservative versus liberal. Absolutely. With Absolutely. Uh, and what do you make of the word they like to throw out there? Moderate and, and centrist. Yeah, moderate and centrist would be, um, you know, somewhere apparently in, in between those in between those two, and but but, but it's it's a false it's a false uh, false uh, pretense. It doesn't, sure, it doesn't add up to reality. No, no. Well, well, none of it does, <laughs> right. because you know when you look at the the, the spectrum, um, you know what what happens is you. Fox News really adopted this model um, in the late 80s, early 90s. They figured that there was this demographic. I thought Roger Ailes, I think, was quoted as saying, you know, our demographic is, you know, white and 55 to dead or something like that, you know, much older. But this was a a um, demographic that really hadn't been tapped into. And so the business model was essentially to get people to watch Fox News, you know, to be angry, you know, to be angry at the liberals and then... Well, well that, was, that, was, that was preceded by, by talk radio, Rush Limbaugh. Absolutely. Uh, in particular, the, the pioneer of, uh, of radical right-wing radio. Absolutely. Which, ironically, was brought into existence largely because of uh, 
the Telecommunications Act of 1996, which yes. Bill Clinton signed. Which, of course, was bipartisan. Um, and, of course, we know in our media today, things that are bipartisan or things that are structural are not usually going to be discussed because the constant framework, whether it's MSNBC or Fox, um, is that your side is represented. Um, you know, it's, it's very much, um, like Matt Taibbi says, it's very much like the um, NFL Today show, which goes from... Um, 11 to noon, where you have the anchor, then you have an, an analyst, and they sit and talk about the teams. And really, that's the framework for um, election coverage in the United States. So people end up sort of rooting for a team. Of course, it's a very, very narrow ideological spectrum for people in the United States, because the two teams themselves, especially on a, on a global basis... Um, you know, that would be a very narrow conservative well, ideology. And, and, and of course, in a primary situation like we just, you know, like we're still coming through, you've got, you've got various teams that are maybe more closely aligned. You've got the, the Buttigieg team, the Sanders, the Warren, the Biden team. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, you know, the media is going to find a way to draw as, 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 as strong a distinction between among, among those candidates as possible. Absolutely. But my impression is because conflict, they, conflict, they, they really conflict. aren't interested in doing it as much on issues as they are on personality. I mean, no. here, here's, you know, here's me having a conversation with Joe Biden, which Kathy Burns filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's all about climate change and about pipelines. Right. But, and it went viral. I mean, there were millions and millions, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know how many tens of millions of views, mm-hmm. but the conversation that you heard on the media even in some of the more you know progressive yeah. alternative type media was all about the 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 physical interaction the shaking shaking me by the lapel you know absolutely it wasn't about you know what's the what's the substance behind behind the the, the voters question about pipelines yeah. and climate change that was never discussed absolutely so it's, it's, no it, what what you're saying at is right on target i mean it's all about the spectacle i mean chris hedges wrote a wrote a book a few years ago you know empire of illusion the triumph of spectacle over literacy he just nailed the it the triumph of spect uh, triumph of spectacle over spectacle literacy over in fact I, you know, your viewers can laugh at this, but I anymore, I don't even call it the United States of America. I just call it the United States of spectacle. We're barely even a country or a society anymore. We're just a bunch of 330 million people running around, staring at screens, living in their own heads, living from one episode to the next. Um, There's a Pet Shop Boy song from the 1980s, um, West End Girls, where they say, got no future, got no past. Got no future, got no past. Um... I'm a teacher, and, and my students are becoming you know, more and more historically illiterate. Um, I have students who went through K-12 and have never heard of something called the Soviet Union. I'm not joking. Um, if, if you actually look at, they just did polls of people in the United States, more people in the United States could not name one of the three branches of government, 34%, than the 32% who could name um, all three. And I mean, that's just naming the three branches of government, you know, and so... Knowing what they do is a whole other conversation. Well, and I always quote James Madison, a people cannot exist both ignorant and free, which is a definition definition of freedom, which is sort of long forgotten in our country. I mean, freedom and corporate media is, is, you know, some strange combination of militarism and and consumerism. So how, how do we get to this point where we've got this... I mean, again, mm-hmm. there there is there is a a, a, um, a growing alternative media in both directions politically. Yeah. Uh, and you've got this the the, the central uh, the, the, the the kind of the central heart of uh, of media, which most people listen, watch, or or, or read, right. Right. is is owned by a, a decreasingly num- a small number of, um, of of corporations. Absolutely. Yeah. And how do how do we get to that point? I mean, uh, I know about yeah. radio. I know about the Telecommunications yeah. Act. Fox was the pioneer for for introducing this. Um, it used to be that Walter Cronkite and CBS tried to create a news show to reach an entire audience. Um, Fox isn't worried about an entire audience. Um, neither is MSNBC. You know, um, and part of it is, at least Matt Tybee says in his book, is that uh, CBS used to not be so concerned if the news part of their corporation made a lot of profits because they could make a lot of money on sports and other things. But now, uh, you know, as Tybee writes, uh, the uh, owners of a lot of these, uh, you know, they need to make more money on the news. And the way they do that is, you know, getting you, um, you know, constant state of of anger. Why why do they need to make more money on news? Is the sports revenue isn't enough? 
Um, well, you know, there even though there's a small number, you know, even though it's still a, a you know monopoly capitalism, which is our our whole, I mean, capitalism sort of ended about 1890 in most places around the world because it just became monopoly capitalism, you know, in in, in without a lot of competition. And, and media is is similar to that, um, but what you have is um, it's more refined. Um, you know, something like Google or Facebook, you know, what they make in terms of revenue just from, uh, you know, their, their basic business model, which doesn't even need to include, you know, sports and, and all those other things. Um, I, I keep quoting Taibbi, but he had a good article in Rolling Stone not long ago where he said, you know, at what point did the people in the United States decide to make Zuckerberg the king of the country? You know, he recently had a private meeting don't, don't with the president. Don't let Trump find out. He'll, uh, he'll think there's a coup in the works. Well, I don't think Trump will, will be too concerned because apparently Zuckerberg had a private meeting with, with the president recently. And, and speculation is that um, Zuckerberg, of course, for money, and just like what Drake did for money, Right, let's buy into the spectacle for Drake money. University. You're, yeah. you're referring to uh, yeah, allowing this just before the caucus. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's one the, of the, the few big rally. one of the few universities or private universities that 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 allowed in that spectacle. So wait, way, there, to, there, way to go, way to go, Drake. There were a bunch of way universities go, that, that refused to host a Trump rally. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. But Drake, no. Yeah, because because oh. it, revenue. Yeah, or, I mean, or, or ideology or both. You know, keep in mind an educational institution is in its mission, is supposed to serve the mission of education. Um, educational institutions are supposed to serve the mission of equality. Um, you know, inviting people who, who advocate violence during their rallies. Interestingly enough, one of the rallies that was held before Drake, um, a woman was protesting and the security guard was fumbling, getting control of her to throw her out. And the person who, the president of the United States was ridiculing the security guard as he was doing it for not being rough enough. Oh, gosh. You know, um, wow. you know, if this, if, if you know, so, um, you know, I think a serious educational institution that is concerned about education wouldn't also allow corporate media, CNN, to come in and call something a debate, which isn't a debate. Yeah. I mean, so, it would be a great time to say, CNN, you can come onto our campus so if it, it, professors it, interview these guys for five or six hours. So is CNN really any better than Fox News at this point? I mean, you have CNN hosting a town, hall, uh, town hall forums in New Hampshire mm -hmm. before the New Hampshire primary, and they include candidates who are basically not even registering on the polls at all. They include Michael Bloomberg, who's not even competing in New Hampshire. Yeah. And yet they exclude Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. How do you? Yeah. And then, and then when they, and then when yeah. they're asked about it, they refuse to answer any questions. Sure. How do you even justify being a legitimate representative of the media when you take those kinds of stands? Yeah. No. I CNN is is still a lot more sane than Fox, but that's a pretty it's not low saying bar. a lot. No, it's, it's a real. A it's a pretty low bar, but um, but at the same time, um, you know, the, the CNN as as a lot of. People who do media studies, uh, you know, are showing, and not just CNN, but of course Washington Post, you know, owned by Amazon, Jeff Bezos, um, you know, their coverage of, of, for example, that the Democratic Socialist wing of the Democratic Party is has been, uh, wow, I don't even know what the word is for it, you know, and so, you know, even though um, MSNBC and CNN are thought of as sort of the Democratic Party channels, there's an entire wing of the Democratic Party that that they're pretty hostile to, uh, you know, and so, and that's not surprising. I mean, obviously the wing of the party that is critical of, of big corporations not paying taxes yeah. is not going to be and, the headline story. And, and that's a confluence. NBC I want to, I want to dig into that money. confluence in the next segment too. Okay. Uh, but just to the, the uh, again, more and more of these big outlets are owned by fewer and fewer people. Absolutely. You mentioned, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos owning the, the yeah. Washington Post. I mean, what else does he own? Yeah. Um, you know, Amazon is uh, into, I know, either the production or distribution of movies. Um, what's the other one? I'm trying to think of something I run across that Amazon has its hands into now. Um, there's a good article that I'd recommend that the people who listen to this go to the New Yorker magazine, a real excellent article about sort of Bezos and Amazon and their plans. And, you know, some people are calling it the Amazon empire. I mean, they... They have plans. <laughs> I mean, radio, radio is something I understand because I'm in, mm -hmm. involved with it for so long. Uh, that, that Telecommunications Act of 1996 allowed, allowed um, 
a, a corporation, a company, sure. to own more than one signal mm-hmm. in, in a particular uh, market. Yep. And so you had the big corporations like, well, it was, it was Clear Channel, now it's iHeart, mm-hmm. Sinclair, uh, Cumulus, Citadel. You had them buying up as many of the larger stations as possible yeah. and leaving the little signals to go to you know anybody who could maybe scrape up enough money to afford a tower and exactly. and, and the overhead sure. uh, or and then you have the community owned stations which of course operate under a whole different set of principles most yeah. people don't know this mm-hmm. but you know uh, Sean Hannity used to have uh, his the introduction to his program back when Obama was president was mm-hmm. stop the Obama express you know mm-hmm. yeah it was all about it was all about partisan politics sure. and all, and I mean everything on these big stations mm-hmm. is from the yep. radical, not just the right, a radical right wing perspective. Sure. You can't do that on a community owned station. You no. cannot do that. You've no. got to be quote nonpartisan. Uh, the host, yours truly here. Mm-hmm. I can't endorse a candidate. Mm-hmm. I could never say go out and support Obama. <laughs> yeah, sure. I couldn't. I couldn't. I would have. Yeah. That would that would have been a, a loss of yeah. license for that station. Sure. You know, I, I and yet they all keep their. Yeah, I, I can't yeah. even say. Go to this rally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can tell you there was a yeah. rally happening. Right. I can't tell you go to it. I can't tell you I support that. It's yeah. um, the, the, the difference between commercial radio, again, which is almost entirely owned by the radical yeah. right, sure. uh, and community-owned stations and public radio. Yeah. It, the, the, it is amazing that this in, these inequities are allowed to exist yeah. and that yeah. they were basically put in place by a Democratic president. Sure. Right, so, right with a, a Republican I, Congress. No, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, and that's the kind of issue that our, our contemporary media is not good at covering um, because where the two parties agree, <clears throat> there's not going to be a lot of coverage. You know, it's like Robert Fisk of The Independent, he, he calls U.S. journalism, when it comes to foreign policy, he calls it U.S. official said journalism, which is a great acronym. It's basically U.S. official said, U.S. official said, U.S. official said, U.S. official said. And that's the same if you're reading The New York Times or if you're listening to CBS News, if it's on foreign policy, because that's where the Republicans and Democrats generally agree. Right, we, so, saw, we saw that in the, in the State of the Union a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. where uh, when, when uh, Donald Trump praised uh, the, the dictator, well, the, um, the, the, the U.S., the attempt to install a U.S. dictator in, in Venezuela, mm-hmm. everybody applauded. Yep. And there, was, there, was a few, there were a few Democrats Absolutely. who didn't. Sure. But the majority of Democrats and Republicans yep. all thought that was great, that we should go in and help orchestrate yeah. a coup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, abs- no, there you go. And so... And so, you know, for those things, and, you know, the other thing that's odd about it is, you know, Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama are conservatives in much of Europe. And so our spectrum is is, is so interesting because the only conservatives in Washington, D.C. are sort of the old blue dog Democrats. Yeah. Um, you know, the modern day Republican Party is 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 right wing and extremely right wing and actually very they, unusual. They fit under the national front in, uh, in Britain. And- Absolutely. With and, and even with, or the alternative party um, in Germany, um, e- even with less, um, e- and even those what are considered extreme right-wing parties in Europe, all of them are much more populist than the Republican Party. They yeah. do have platforms for increasing social security, increase in unemployment and things like that. And again, let's, and let's, it's let's, hard to even get that and, from the GOP. And let's dig into that a little bit more in the next sure. segment. Just to, just to kind of wrap up this conversation about the media. I mean, we've got... Mm-hmm. We've got fewer and fewer entities owning more and more of the of the of the primary media mm-hmm. opportunities, and uh, and and you know you know Donald Trump accuses MSNBC and CNN and others of being quote fake news, and I'm not sure I entirely disagree with him. <laughs> yeah, well, you know one one of the things well fake in terms news of is, what they're covering, what they're choosing I think to fake cover, news is pretty dangerous because I think that is anything that doesn't agree with him. Right. Yeah. Is, exactly. Yeah. You know. Ominous, but, I mean, but 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 they're they, they're intentionally mm-hmm. avoiding. So much of the uh, substance of the, of well, the I story. Well, I mean, think one thing. Iowa caucus is a great yeah. example. One thing he said that was on target is during the campaign is he said, you know, you, you executives and you people in media, you act like you don't like me, but you really like me. And, and the <laughs> former executive of, of CBS said, you know, Donald Trump may be bad for the United States of America, but he is damn good for CBS. He said, we're rolling in the money. Keep it up, Donald. And, you know, yeah. in. CNN has made a billion dollars um, of additional profit since he became president, about 35 to 45% increase in profits for um, MSNBC and all the cable companies. So they love this story. I mean, they're the ones who, who essentially bombarded us with $5 billion of free advertising in 2016. One of the real interesting things to watch will be to see if MSNBC and CNN decide that 
another four years of him is a good thing because of their profits, which they could. And I think we'll know that the way they cover the campaign, because even if their campaign is, is negative towards the president, as long as they do his rallies and they give him airtime and they show the podium with his name on it, even though he's not standing there for 20 minutes of free advertising, I think that will mean that they've, they've cast their net for him. And they actually, they may, they may prefer him to a democratic socialist. Um, who is critical of corporations? I mean, uh, well, you know. I think I think the Democratic Party. This, this may sound mm-hmm. scandalous to say, but I think that the establishment within the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. the status quo component of the party that really runs the party, mm-hmm. I think they would prefer uh, Trump as president than Bernie Sanders. It's possible. You know, I, 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 yeah, I think there's there's that much. Um, uh, yeah, that that much. Um, yeah. the, the, the status quo is so firmly embedded and so sure. fearful of losing control. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even if it means instituting some reforms that might be yeah. beneficial to the masses of uh, of, of yeah. Americans, you know? executive autocracy, you know, sort of the almost the end of Article One, and just have an executive dictatorship of sorts, or have to give up some of your money. You may be and right. Then, and let's let's uh, let's dig into that a little bit more when we come yeah, back we, from a break here, folks. We're we're on the Fallon Forum mm-hmm. here. This is Jeffrey Weiss, my guest, Ed Fallon, your host. We'll, we'll be back in a couple minutes here, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band, Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here. Jeffrey Weiss, my guest today. A shout out to some of our local business partners in the Des Moines Metro, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. If you want to go to some place where you can sit by a fire and have breakfast, lunch, or supper seven days a week, Gateway has a great spot for that at their loca- location in Sherman Hill. That's also my grocery store, and they've got a great catering service as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating large and small animals alike, well, maybe not an elephant, but smaller stuff, uh, for 30 years now. She knows what she's doing at Story County Veterinary Clinic. And thanks also to Ritual Cafe, Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines. All right, so uh, Jeffrey and I are going to dig into the, the, the very broad topic of the state of American politics. And, uh, you know, there's so many starting points for this. I have a couple in mind, but I'm going to defer to you, Jeffrey. Yeah. Where do you want to start with this? Well, one of the things I've been thinking about lately um, and I, is that I've had a real difficult time comparing our current president to any leaders of the past or of the future. But I may have settled in, at least to some extent, on the, the current state of, of the Republican Party. And I... 
don't just talk about this lightly. I mean, for several decades, you know, in a presidential republic, a two-party system, you have these huge umbrella parties. And for quite some time, I remember even like when it came to the 2000 election, people would say, what's the difference between George Bush Jr. Um, and Al Gore? And, you know, at the time, there wasn't really a ton of difference. Um, one of the reasons the United States has been a successful wait, 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 presidential There was no, no real difference between George W. Bush and Al Gore? There was some difference at the time in mm -hmm. 2000, but not okay. considerable. A lot of their debates, it was sort of like, I agree, oh, I agree with you, I agree, you know, back and forth. Um, and that's actually been one of the successes of the United States as a presidential republic, because most presidential republics, most of them are in Africa and South America, um, end up becoming executive dictatorships of some kind. I mean, that's what where do you mean by executive going. dictatorship versus um, just a dictatorship? What tends to happen is in a separation of power system is you get one party that controls all three branches. And including the judiciary? Absolutely. And then when that well, happens... We're working on that here. Absolutely we are. Yeah. And you know, and the one of the ways that the U.S. two-party system tended to work to some extent was that sort of the extremists were, were more isolated. Hmm. Now, what has happened uh, with the modern-day um, takeover of the party is... is oh, the Republican um, Party. The Republican Party. Um, okay. uh, four years ago, a conservative journalist from the American Enterprise Institute, I guess a think tank, wrote an article that he said that the, the Republican Party is not a normal parliamentary party. It's more like a, a radical insurgency. Um, Steve Bannon said, agreed too. He said, they said, what, how would you label your party? He said, we're Leninist. And they said, what Leninists? do you mean? Leninist. He said, what does that mean? He says, we want to sort of smash the institutions of the state. Um, now, there's another political party that's quite similar. Um, it's called United Russia. And it's called a party in power. They call themselves a ruling party is what political so scientists you, you, call you're it. So you're saying that Steve Bannon is a Russian asset? No, not at all. <laughs> but what I am saying is that the Republican Party is, is, not, a, is not a normal party. It, it's turned into a personality cult. Um, Under, with, with Trump absolutely. as the, the And, and when you have a personality cult, you know, you can sort of like nip at the heels of your master, you know, but if you ask more direct questions, Jeff Flake, Bob Corker, you quit. Or, a or here in Iowa, David Johnson. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you, or you, Andy McKean. Absolutely. Two, two, law, two lawmakers uh, that switched. Well, Johnson became an independent and then pretty much had to retire because there was no chance he was going to win his Northwest Iowa seat mm -hmm. as an independent. Sure. And then uh, Andy McKean switched to being a Democrat mm -hmm. in a district where he might have a chance of getting reelected as a Democrat. There but you yeah, go. I mean, so, so Personality yeah. cults are not unusual with political but, parties. But they happen, it'll happen where one person takes over a, a, a party. Interesting though about Trump though is that mm -hmm. the you know he was he was kind of persona non grata within the Republican Party. Uh, Prior to his uh, winning the nomination, sure. even even after he won the nomination, leading sure. up to the general election, there were still a lot of uh, of leaders within the Republican Party who said they wouldn't vote. Oh, one you after know, another. Actually, Ted, the, Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham, they well, all used words like pathological liar. And, and, and you mean, probably yeah. don't know this, but the the, sure. the chair, the former chair, a former chair of the Iowa Republican Party, mm -hmm. told me at a social event that he was going to vote for Hillary Clinton because, sure. and then this is you're going to love this. He said because quote. She's basically a good Republican. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he couldn't stand sure. a former chair of the Republican Party of Iowa could not vote for Donald Trump. You know, I, I want to go back to him today because sure. I'll bet that he could. I bet he's all over Trump right now and with praise and 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 and, and, sure. and, and good things to say yes. about him. Yeah. Well, and that's really how how United Russia, United Russia, at least political scientists will say that's the party, United Russia. That's the party that controls the state Duma and the Federation Council both. Again, the Duma um, is the uh, it's a bicameral legislature yeah, right. in, in, in the Russian Federation. And they don't really have a coherent ideology. It's more based on on, on the leader, on the president, you know, Vladimir Putin in this case. He's, he's, the, he's the cult party, figure there. Absolutely. And the yeah. Republican Party has become very much like that. And, and you know, it's interesting because I peddled this to somebody at the Des Moines Register and they just started laughing. And I had a straight face. I wasn't laughing at all. I don't... Yeah, to me, this is just serious analysis. It's not it's so not. What, what did you, what did you say that they found you humorous? <clears throat> well, I think that they figured that I was being some partisan person who watches a lot of MSNBC and talks about the Mueller report and things like that. Um, and I was actually critical of, of, of corporate media for getting way ahead of that story, um, as were a lot of other people who 
who were watching that. And what I'm trying to do is, is look at it from an objective standpoint. And in particular, interestingly enough, the upper house is called the Federation Council in the Russian Federation, and they are appointed by Putin. And so they're pretty much a rubber stamp on everything he does. Well, Mitch McConnell came out publicly and said, anything that is passed out of the House of Representatives that comes to the Senate will not be debated unless the president wants us to debate it. That's a basically a de facto, exactly like the Russian um, the Federation Council in Russia is, except the Russian Federation is literally de jure. It's in the law, whereas the GOP is it's sort of what we call de facto. But this, either way, the ideology isn't coherent for either party, United Russia or the, or the modern-day Republican Party. Um, the other thing is, and I've talked about this, and any of your listeners, um, you know, please get a hold of us here at the show, if you can find any major political party in the world that denies the science of climate change. I mean, there, yeah. there's almost that's, that's, 200 countries in the world, and think of the number of political parties. It's almost that, a requirement to, to deny climate science. Well, you know, it is. In, in all fairness, though, Donald Trump had two opponents, <clears throat> actually three opponents, Mark Sanford, Bill Weld, Mark Sanford dropped out, Bill Weld mm -hmm. and, and Joe Walsh, mm -hmm. who all agreed that climate change was real, was anthropogenic, sure. and needed to be addressed. Sure. So you, you have this element within the Republican Party that is to. willing to understand sure. and accept science, but they're, they're so marginalized. I mean, yeah. here in Iowa, what, what did Iowa go, what, 98% for Trump in the Republican sure. caucus here? Yeah. You know, so it, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a descending voice that's so small, it's, a, it's kind of embarrassing. But Well, yeah, and there's, there's just a few things that make the party very unusual. I, once again, I, I, you know, people get a hold of us. Um, I, I'm trying to find out if there's an, a, a major political party in the world that sort of takes a blood oath that you cannot raise taxes. I mean, all governments tax and spend. And if you're the ruling party or even the main opposition party in any country and you right away take a stand that when you're negotiating the budget, you will not budge on the question of taxation. But that's a bipartisan problem. It isn't just the Republicans who rail against tax increases. Even but 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 it's city. really but it's not the same though because the Democrats don't have to sign a an oath to you know yeah. to, to to their version of Grover Nordquist to <laughs> you know that 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 will be part of because at that point negotiation completely breaks down right because mm -hmm. I mean you have taxing and spending so at, at what point um, where do you go from there and and this is not at all like the party when I grew up. I mean, the Rockefeller Republicans are now in the Democratic Party. The Nixonian Republicans are, are in the Democratic Party. Shoot, the Eisenhower Republicans would be to the left of most of the Democratic Party. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> in some respects, as not a, all. As, not a, all, as like, an example here at the local level, like we had, that, but, there were three <clears throat> um, Republican uh, women lawmakers from Polk County near around Des Moines mm -hmm. who, after they retired, um, all, yeah, they, they became Democrats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how far the party has moved. But let's talk about the Democratic side of this. Uh, sure. There are plenty who claim that we, we really have one party here with two faces, the Republican and the Democratic. And, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, and there is, we certainly have a two-party system that excludes any third-party voices. Sure. At least effectively excludes them. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think it's a, a drastic overstatement to say that the two parties are basically the same. No, but, they're, 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 they're vastly different today. Right. Um, I mean, it, there's there's 193 governments part of the United Nations. There's only seven governments in the world that have single member districts and winner take all, and we're one of them. <laughs> so that's what are the other what are the other countries? Um, boy, uh, I'm guessing a couple are in South America, although a couple, but even even some of the presidential republics in South America, they elect a president, separation of powers, but they do have proportional representation voting. Right. I mean, proportional representation voting is sort of the norm in most of the world. And it gives us these two parties, but no, the, the, the two parties are are very different now, and, and at the same time, you also have the Democratic Party, as we know, is very much split between... Yeah, the Democratic Party is really two parties. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and, and the controlling party is the one that represents the interests of the status quo, uh, and that DNC, continues sure. to lose, because most yeah. Americans are not happy with the status quo, yeah. And yeah, I, I really think they, they I, think, I think the status quo element within the Democratic Party would rather lose than, than concede and then cede control to the 
progressive, and I make a big distinction between sure. progressive and liberal. Sure. And there's a huge sure. distinction. We'll talk yeah. about that if you want. But the um, sure. but the the Democratic Party is uh, is in shambles right now. Yeah. Those those two forces are just tearing at each yeah, other. Yeah, that's true. And then the liberal is more the identity politics, and then the well, and also and also the the the, the, yeah. the 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 component of the party that likes to see problems solved with government involvement, government sure. infusion of money. Yeah. Uh, more the democratic socialist way. Sorry. Well, you know, but, yeah. but no, I, I think, and I think the progressive perspective is sure. okay. Yeah, there's a role for government, but a big part of the problem is getting government out of the way of impeding average people, mm -hmm. little people, uh, rural and urban alike, from from making a living doing what they want to do. Sure. You know, don't overburden them with exist. You know, ridiculous amounts of uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of of regulation. Oh, absolutely. But 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 don't but 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 do regulate. Yeah, the, the big entities. Yeah, and that's the problem right now. The regulations on the bigger entities, or as Donald Trump likes to say, you know, he's relieved mm -hmm. us of all these burdens and regulations. Mm -hmm. All that's done is allowed big corporations to pollute the environment yeah. to take and advantage of Most of the regulations of are already written for the by the big yeah. lobbyists. So, I mean, progressive, yeah. progressive yeah. means kind of to me shifting that whole focus. Sure. You know, making sure the big polluters, the big corporations, mm -hmm. are paying their fair share in taxes, Amazon, yeah, uh, and also are being regulated appropriately so they're not destroying our communities sure. so they're not taking advantage of workers mm -hmm. and making sure that the rest of us have an opportunity to realize our dream mm -hmm. through whatever kind of you know economic uh, enterprise we want to initiate because right yeah. now it's really hard i mean radio sure. is a great example yeah you know, find me a station where i could find a home on it mm -hmm. you know I, I was on a station right years ago i was on a big yeah. station and, and everybody was kind of well, and then when, and then when a big corporation yeah. bought that they threw right. all the everybody local voices off, off. yeah yeah. So, sure. you know, the, there's no yeah. room in, in, a, in a lot of spheres of economic yeah. activity. There, there's very little opportunity yeah. to actually make a living because of the way the whole economy sure. is structured. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's neoliberalism or conservatism, which to me is all all opposed to a true progressive populism that wants to put the people's need yeah. first. Yeah. But Sorry, it was, it, my rant. No, it's all right. It, it was the most progressive <laughs> set of candidates in the history of my lifetime. That you mean were, this in the Democratic Party? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the party is moving to more of, of, of where the base is. I mean, one of the one of the nicer things, aspects of, you know, I call them the weapons of mass distraction, all the gadgets, you know, the phones and everything, <laughs> is that a lot of young people are in tune with the fact that Norway and Sweden, and there's a lot of countries that are ahead of us. I mean, we're 40th in the world in life expectancy tied with Cuba. I mean, we're 47th, I think, in the world right now in terms of press freedom. We were talking about the media. And so young people are, are seeing that it's, it's you, know, the, you know, national health insurance or turning for-profit insurance companies into nonprofits like Switzerland and Germany does is it, something that the United States can do. They're, they are looking beyond the shores of this country um, for answers because, you know, back to media, we keep it a narrow debate between the red states and the blue states and everything gets cast in that frame yeah, or it gets um, cast in personality uh, oh yeah warren and Celebrity. sanders arguing over whether a woman can be president yeah that's that's a fabricated conflict no it becomes you know? not entirely different than world wrestling entertainment which is where the current <laughs> president was quite active and 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 really understands corporate media and probably the psyche of of, of this population um, a lot more than, than than people maybe give him credit for. Um, you know, I tell it's funny when you listen to the parties. You know, the Republicans tend to talk to the citizens of the United States like, you know, that we are really simple-minded. We know next to nothing and speak at third, fourth grade level a lot. Um, and then you know the Democrats will get up there and and you know talk about the Constitution and the um, Article Two and and. You know, there's just there's just a completely different chasm <laughs> between how the parties speak to. I think one of the uh, you know reasons why some candidates are more effective than others is that they speak in in more of a simple, straightforward way. I mean, I think I think that's one of the appeal of Bernie Sanders is he just speaks in a real straightforward way about the issues of the day. Whereas, um, so and it's not anyhow. just within the current field of candidates. Not no, just Sanders, but not Mar at all. Marianne Williamson, a very progressive voice. Mm -hmm. uh, Tulsi Gabbard, Elizabeth Warren, yeah, uh, Tom Steyer. You've, yeah. we've had a whole slew of candidates Absolutely. that really articulate 
a very different kind of message than the establishment is Definitely. used to and comfortable with. Yeah. So, you know, and you said you know, there's, there's this, this tension right now that's pushing the party in a new direction. Mm -hmm. And again, the resistance by the status quo Democrats, mm -hmm. the Absolutely. Clinton wing of the party, yeah. uh, they, they are dug in like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they're not, they're not ceding any power right now. Well, They've and, been able to yeah. thwart everything. And when you look at public opinion polls, when you think about money, getting money out of elections, getting lobbyists out of Washington, D.C., Republican voters agree with those things, too. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, I mean, a lot of people have said this, but there's a lot of polls to suggest that even when you look at GOP voters on the environment yeah. and a lot of things, there's not much difference between, you know, sometimes the base of the parties and the, you know, and, and, and then you get to the, to the parties themselves and it's, you know, it's a different thing so, because it's, it's, it's spectacle. So the know? Republican Party has become a cult of personality and, I, and that may not change for a while. The Democratic Party is in flux. What do you see the near-term future of the Democratic Party looking like? Why? Under two scenarios. One, mm -hmm. uh, a progressive Democrat wins the nomination. Mm -hmm. Two, a status quo Democrat wins the nomination. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I mean, is, is there going to be any kind of a significant shift, or are we going to see them continue to try to uh, try to maintain that uh, the, the banner of the status quo? Yeah, I... Boy, <laughs> I don't think you can even predict. Um, I really don't think you can even predict. It's just so, I mean, nobody knows where this is going to go, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of the, the primaries, et cetera. So I don't really think you can predict. I mean, I think if, if, if the progressive wing jumps ahead, so to speak, or if Warren and Sanders make a pact, you know, then at that point, um, the party may have to come along or the party will just sort of disassemble or, or, or destroy itself. Well, you know, one, one, uh, one indicator is the, uh, the, the election of 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, Al Gore announced he was going to run for president. He'd been the vice president. Mm -hmm. And everybody said, oh, well, we've got to give it to Al, mm -hmm. except Bill Bradley. Bill Bradley challenged him and got his clock cleaned. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, in, and back in 2008, Hillary sure. Clinton was going to run, and she was kind of seen as the de facto uh, nominee. Mm -hmm. But drew a lot of uh, a lot of mm -hmm. opposition and, and lost to Obama, mm -hmm. and then in uh, you know and, and then in twenty sixteen at that point she was oh, she's pretty much the nominee she she's got it yeah and then along comes this uh, this this renegade senator who wasn't even a Democrat Bernie Sanders and yeah. challenges her, and at first he was kind of poo pooed as well you know why is he even in the race what's mm -hmm. he gonna do win five percent probably win a lot less than Bradley did against Gore, and yet he basically. Tied, or if you look at, if you analyze sure. some of the, uh, the 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 irregularities in voting, sure. you might argue that he actually won. Yeah. Uh, and so, what Sanders accomplished in 2016 was to push the entire conversation in a new direction. And so now you have all these candidates mm -hmm. running this year who are sounding who are much more progressive. Some of them yeah, are I mean, actually progressive. Absolutely. Some of them just talk more progressive. Sure. But sure. Uh, the bottom line is. Yeah. You know, whatever Sanders accomplishes in this round, sure, he has he has successfully changed the, the discussion within well, the Democratic Party. Yeah, I mean, I think what was it, sixty some percent of the, the caucus voters, uh, you know, it's talked about being in favor of Medicare for all, and then the second most important issue was climate. You know, and some of that right after it. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, the the, the Democratic base is, is is quite progressive, and like I said, I would argue if you. Uh, if there was a way that beyond the spectacle <laughs> that you could speak to the, the GOP voters, I mean, I meet just like you do. I meet people who who you know who voted for for the president, and we can if we talk, we can find things we can agree on if we if we don't yeah. deal with the noise of of Fox or or, or CNN yeah. and the spectacle. Kathy um, and I, Kathy and I, found our way into the uh, the enclosure in front of the mega screen where Trump supporters were watching. Uh, watching the proceedings on this on this big 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 screen, mm -hmm. they're the ones who weren't able to get into mm -hmm. the uh, Drake's the Nap Center sure. at Drake because mm -hmm. they already had seven thousand people in there. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why Drake wanted this event. Sure. Right? So, uh, but we went in mm -hmm. there and uh, and Kathy uh, hoisted up a climate as a crisis sign. Sure. Very brave. I call her Catherine the Fierce. Sure. Uh, and then uh, it struck struck up a conversation with uh, you know uh, a, a a farmer from mm -hmm. uh, Southern sure. Iowa, yeah, in a in, in a Carhartt suit with a mega mm -hmm. hat, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, he wasn't going to believe anything about climate change. He was pretty mm -hmm. sure that 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 was caused by the sun, and that he knew everything he needed to do from what mm -hmm. he learned on YouTube. Um, but you got to talking about connections that could be Absolutely. made uh, around concerns about pollution, about conservation, and also around 
grandkids. So right. you know, there's there's all yeah. these things we have in common that. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's, and that's why, you know, we, we should probably turn off a lot of the corporate media. Now, don't turn off the felon forum, but... but, <laughs> but <Excellent>. well, <laughs> well stated. But, <laughs> how much do I get for that? No, but... Pat but, on the back. <laughs> but, 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 you know, because, because so much of it is just commercial. I mean, it's, it's, it's the dopamine rushes, apparently, when people get angry, and then they bring on a panel to talk about, you know, the big, bad other side... And, uh, you know, and we'd be much better getting our information from books, um, you know, from newspapers. Or from conversation. And conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're, not, uh, we're not machines. We're human beings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's something I frequently say. Um, humans are not machines. We're humans. Um, <laughs> we don't have to always communicate through machines. Um, <laughs> we can have relationships. Weapons and, of mass distraction, <laughs> as you also call them, right? Yeah. So it's... Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, really, I think if we could do more of that, it, it would be it would be uh, a, a much better thing. And really, yeah. the the real over the top rhetoric from 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 you know from either side is 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 just not helpful. Although although it is because of the domination of radio, it, it, it it's certainly coming a lot yeah. a lot and, more and from see, one and it has been for decades. Democrats, both liberals and progressives, mm-hmm. do do not understand the power of radio. They do not understand so how much time people spend in their cars yep. listening to do uh, Rush Limbaugh, yep. uh, Sean Hannity, Michael Savage, yep. uh, Glenn Beck, yep. yep. or and they don't, they don't understand how many people who are at jobs where your hands are engaged but your ears are available, right? And they're listening to that material over and over and over Absolutely. again. And, and again, the, the whole approach of um, both parties mm-hmm. certainly you certainly hear it on talk radio, but you also hear it from Democrats mm-hmm. and 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 Republican candidates as well. It's a divide and conquer strategy. Sure, make us feel like we are at odds. Absolutely, um, make us feel like the quote and from a Democrat's point of view, mm-hmm. the Trump voters are are deplorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, sure. all racist. Yeah, all misogynist. Mm-hmm. You know, let us just believe these these lies. Uh, and again, I don't doubt, I don't sure. deny that there are misogynists, sure. racists, and uh, sure. and really questionable people within within each political party, sure. honestly. But within mm-hmm. the, you know, within the within mm-hmm. the Trump base, yeah, there's some people who are really uh, folks I wouldn't really want to spend much time with. But yeah. again, the vast majority of people I've met with who are Trump supporters are decent people mm-hmm. who want a lot of the same things we do. They just kind of come at it from a different perspective, mm-hmm. or they've allowed this divide and conquer, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, poison to seep into the point where. You know, they just don't see that common ground. Yeah. And the same is true on the Democratic side. Sure. Well, on cable TV, like we said, it focuses on personalities and parties and, and not on issues, not on structural issues, not on the Pentagon budget, um, not on campaign finance, uh, an issue that you could get all sides, so yeah. to speak. To sick actually, of money and yeah, to, to actually agree on. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so, so these are really some of the, so I don't know, hopefully, you know, People will, I don't know, think at least, and, and maybe just turn off some of that, and especially if it raises people's stress level. Well, Jeffrey, I don't know if we've solved Americans, America's uh, I, I political think, I think we process no. problems today, <laughs> but uh, oh, dang, we made a good start on it, didn't yes, we? Yes, yes. All right, we're going to take a short break, folks. When we come back, we're going to talk a little, bit, a little bit of foreign policy here on the Fallon Forum with Jeffrey Weiss. I'm your host, Ed Fallon. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766 That's 232-8766. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. 
From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here. Jeffrey Weiss with me in the studio. Thanks again to our local business partners and organizational sponsors as well. Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. They've got a fantastic catering service. And of course, they've also served breakfast, lunch, and supper seven days a week. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Bold Iowa, fighting climate change, fighting the Dakota Access Pipeline, and pushing to build urban and rural coalitions to better address the problems of climate change as they impact Iowa. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where you can take classes on how to turn your lawn into dinner. Go online to birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Okay, so welcome back to the program. And again, uh, with me, Jeffrey Weiss. And we're going to take a, a shot at um, analyzing what's going on in the Mideast. Uh, I mean, Jeffrey, are we, are we on the verge of war with Iran? Yeah, um, well... One of the things that's that's interesting, um, I had a chance to give some public presentations uh, after the United States left the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which was an international treaty uh, that... Negotiated during the Obama administration. Absolutely, right? and negotiated over a period of like 900 days, if you can imagine. The most comprehensive um, anti-nuclear weapons treaty verification, um, you know, the, the uranium, the waste going out to... The Russian Federation, um, you know, taking down a the largest facility for spinning the centrifuges to create a nuclear weapon. By all accounts, the IEA, the UN organization, said Iran was in compliance. The U.S. State Department said Iran was in compliance. The whole world said the Iran was in compliance. And when the United States abruptly left that, and under the leadership of uh, President Under the leadership right? of the president, because there's something that happened in Iran, you know, during those 900 days, the, it's a theocratic republic, and the theocratic part of their government, the Ayatollah Khomeini and others, kept saying to President Rouhani that you can't trust the United States. Um, you are wasting your time. If you make this deal, uh, the United States is going to go back on it. And that was before it was, before it was signed. Absolutely. Right. And so there was that big debate going on in, 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 in Iran. And, and amazingly, the republic part of their theocratic republic, um, where the president's elected and the, and the parliament's elected, which is sort of modeled after the French Fifth Republic, it has a weird lay, kind of a laying over that whole system is this guardian council, which has a lot of veto power over the laws. That's why we call it a theatic, theocratic republic. The only one of its kind in the world. But to make a long story short, so after that took place, when the United States pulled out, it was a huge boost to the theocracy and a, and a huge defeat for the secular wing of the, of the whole country and 82 million Persians, you know. And we tend to say in the United States today that will there be war with Iran? But the 82 million Persians consider the United States already at war with them. And that is because... Yeah, how so? Um, well, after the, uh, this international treaty, Iran's uh, economy and a lot of their uh, business class started to uh, invest not only in businesses in their country, in Tehran, the capital city, and other parts of Iran, because the sanctions were lifted. Um, economic growth in Iran took off immediately, and there was, you know, like 4 to 7% growth, um, I'm not, I can't remember the exact numbers, but uh, the Iranians were generally very happy about this. Um, you know, Iran has a population that is, is, is very young. Um, you know, other than the Israelis, it's the country in that region that has, thinks the highest of United States culture. Um, they, they like the United States of America. They, they hate U.S. foreign policy, but <laughs> they course. like the people. But, you know, they want U.S. foreign policy toward Iran has been horrible since the 1950s. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. I mean, we, we overthrew their first democratically elected government Mossadegh. in 1953, Mossadegh, and then mm -hmm. installed the Shah, Shah. and that's what mm -hmm. led to the hostages being taken. Of course, once again, we're always back to media. That's yeah. that's a history that our, our, our 
are ahistorical. Media doesn't go back to very much. But what has happened, once again, to make a long story short, is um, serious inflation, um, people's, uh, you know, in terms of households have had, you know, half or two-thirds of their wealth, um, you know, pretty much wiped out. Um, all these, there's, Al Jazeera has done some, even though it's Arab satellite TV, they've done some good coverage of the Persians, um, the Iranians, and they've had a lot of uh, stories about uh, Iranian business people who develop these relationships with the Europeans and others, you know, to, in their coffee houses or whatever. And, and that has changed. I mean, the United States not only has harsh mm -hmm. sanctions, but yeah. any third party that, that trades with Iran, um, so I think so to, to to my question about is the U.S. going to go to war with Iran? You're you're basically saying I, I we're already at war with Iran. We're already and, at war with Iran, and and so it's only a matter of time before um, before Iran strikes back. And I think depending so on how the presidential election, well, goes, Iran did they're, strike they're, back after the killing of Soleimani. Y Iran did strike back y with some restraint, <laughs> enough yeah. to save face, but not not enough to push Donald Trump to respond with any additional. Aggression. Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing it's not over, but I think the Iranians are sitting back and they're looking at the presidential election. And if the presidential election goes one way, I think there will be a shooting war with, with the United States. What do you I mean by a shooting war? Are we talking about, um, uh, you know... It'll be asymmetrical at first. Or, or no, it'll, it'll be asymmetrical at first. Um, it'll be, you know, the proxies in the region um, that will be a, a, attacking... United States, or which United proxies? States interest. Um, well, I mean, it, it could be in Yemen, uh, it could be in, in Lebanon, but you know, when you when you look at the capacity now of drones, you know, this is like this is a, a technology that is is the cat's out of the bag, and more countries have access to that. You know, and when the Houthi rebels used drones to blow up some Saudi oil fields, you know not long ago. I mean, that was really an ominous development. And so I think if the presidential election does go to a candidate who wants to get back in the nuclear, the JCPOA... Meaning probably any Democrat. Meaning, yeah. Right. Then then I think the Iranians are going to... I'm guessing they're going to wait and they're going to look at that. But I don't think... Well, and that, that would probably be received favorably. They, they were happy with, more, the, with the treaty, correct? Oh, extremely, extremely. Yeah. And, 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 so, and so, so were, so were uh, America's political leadership under the Obama administration. There you go. And so yeah. and, and you had, it was working well. And, you and have, the international absolutely. community was okay with it. Well, and the other problem in Iran, to your question about what's, you know, in terms of how Iran would respond, it's possible that if things get worse with their economy, uh, the kind of protest and the resistance against the theocratic part of their theocratic republic would it would be in the interest of those leaders to start a war or not start a war but i should say the war is going on i said that but or to to retaliate in some way um for their own political purposes and their own political survival is, so. is, it, is it fair to call the current tension between the two countries a war there's no there other than those two isolated incidences of soleimani and then iran's response there's not ongoing. There aren't troops heading there. Yeah. There, there's no. Um, the, the level no of open the level, conflict. It, it depends. I mean, some some. There's people, not even sanctions right now. Oh yeah, there's, there's, there's very severe sanctions. Okay, you're yeah, right. States but are those, are those and it affects third parties too. Okay, right. So, yeah. Right. No, it definitely. Yeah. I mean, the United States is is an extremely powerful country in terms of you know as we know economics. We are the largest economy in the world. What twenty two trillion. Well, and as Trump reminded us recently in the State of the Union address, nobody has a stronger military than us. You know, and, he, and he's right on that. And that's costing us a lot of money and also Absolutely. causing a lot of problems around yeah. the world. But And that and that really, Iran does not have a strong military. Um, they're sort of more like a national guard. It really doesn't even have a lot of offensive capability. And therefore, you know, Iran could probably only strike asymmetrically. The, the problem with the entire dynamic, and, and nobody, you know, I can't predict, nobody can predict, is that if the United States at any point decides to bomb inside of the country of Iran, um, then it escalates to, to, to something yeah. far graver. And so we hope that that never happens. But, you know, I think my larger point is, you know, pe the people of the citizens of the United States who consistently hear from the parties, et cetera, or, or from our media, will there be a war with Iran? At least we should know 
that a lot of the Persians, the 82 million mm. people who live in that country, they consider the United States to already be at war with them right. because and, their and, lives have been so affected and, by And the interestingly, sanctions. of all the countries in that region of the world, other than Israel, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Persian people, the Iranian people, mm-hmm. identify most with our culture and our way of life. And there, there's, Absolutely. That's, there's some real irony there. Absolutely. Some real irony there. Yeah, I mean, Iran is, is a country in the region. I mean, they have the history of the Persian empires. Uh, they've they've always had an uh, an independent foreign policy. Um, well, they've been pushing it back against the West ever since Alexander the Great. Well, hey, they, <laughs> yes, maybe we can get over that at some point. Huh? That's really funny you mentioned that. I had a good friend in college who, when I told him my first daughter's middle name was Alexandria, um, he was from Iran, and he was actually a member of the Iranian the Communist Party in Iran, and he just looked at me like Alexandria. Um, <laughs> anyway, well, um, hey, we got to wrap up this uh, this uh, segment of the show, Jeffrey. I really thank you for joining us, and uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll probably be talking about this more. And again, I think you're right; it'll depend a lot upon what happens in the election. Yeah. Uh, again, folks, we've been talk- talking with uh, Jeffrey Weiss. Thanks for tuning into today's program. Always available as a podcast on the Fallon Forum website. There are stations across Iowa and around the country that rebroadcast the show. Thanks to our production team of uh, Sherry Herdina and Kathy Burns. I'm Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum.